Well, good morning. We uh, have a few things going on in the life of our church, kind of as we're kicking off the fall, running at it with a head of steam and hopefully a little bit drier these days, maybe, kind of. I don't know. You know, it's always fun to go to a new place and break records. We had, what, 23 days in a row of wetness? I just pretended I was in Seattle and had a great summer. I don't know. It's all about, what's that? 31? All right. We should wear it like a badge, right? We're going to be wet. We're all wet. Okay. Uh, Yeah, in a little bit, we're going to be looking at Psalm 119 this morning, but I want to just talk about a couple things that are going on that are related to the Word of God and how we're trying to grow in grace at Anchorage Grace Church. Last Thursday, we had the beginning of Alaska Bible College being on campus here. 6 p.m., I think it went to probably 8.30 or 9, two classes, and they were successful because we had students, and I was excited about that. I looked in the classrooms. We had about, you know, eight or nine in each room, but we're trying to expand uh, specifically one of them. It's the inductive Bible study class, and if you missed last week and you're still praying about being a part of that class, Nick Ringer, who's the president of ABC, said for $45 you can receive three college credits for that class. And so it's, you know, shrunk down from $600 to $45. And that's an incentive to try to get people to to sign up and jump in. If you want to do that, just see details on the website. We have a link from our website to Alaska Bible College, and you can check that out. And I think you just kind of work through the process and Um, You know, you can pay by check or somehow to kind of get through the process so that you're only paying $45 for three college credits. We're going to be meeting over here now downstairs because now that we've opened the floodgates, we're going to be overwhelmed with people, so we need room. So uh, just over here is where we're going to be studying the Bible and how to study the Bible. It's a book, um, a couple of the books that are being given are from people that I highly respect, Howard Hendricks. One of his uh, books on inductive Bible study, and Dr. Richard Mayhew, who was a professor of mine at the Master Seminary, were using his book. And then Nick Ringer is just a warm-hearted um, brother in the Lord. Also, there's a class, Daniel Revelation, taught by Kevin Newman, who's the vice president of ABC, and that's ongoing. I'm sure you could still jump into that as well if you want. A um, couple other things. Um, we have a women's retreat coming up. And I hear it's going to be pretty good. Um, it's, it's going to be at the Alaska Hotel. And I've heard of the speaker. I've actually heard her teach a few times. She's taught me a few things. It's my wife. And uh, I, I, would, I would highly uh, commend her to you just so you can get to know her on a more personal basis by being in that kind of retreat setting. It'll be a beautiful time there, obviously, in Girdwood. Um, but also, uh, my wife, if you know her yet, she's pretty down-to-earth and biblical and, and loves to tell stories and has a pretty good sense of humor. So it'd be great for you to come and be a part of that time. See details in this trifold. We have those out on the women's ministry table. And if you sign up by September 12th, it's only $65, which is $30 cheaper. So anyway, another incentive for you to be a part and jump in. Love to have you be a part of that. Um, Be in prayer for other things that are starting up. We have home groups that meet. Check the bulletin for those things. And we have Bible studies that happen on campus here um, for Sunday school time at 9 a.m. And also we have men's and women's Bible study studies to be part of. I'm sure also if the Lord is 
tugging on your heart for you to serve in children's ministry or in Awana, we will not turn you away. All right? Well, with that in mind, let's stand up and greet each other in the Lord. Take a few moments and ask each other how it's going, and I will call us to the Word in a minute. Let's, let's return now to our seats and open our Bibles. Encourage you to continue the fellowship at the close of our service. That is part of our experience is to interact with each other. I'm going to read from Psalm 119. This is the longest chapter in the Bible, but I'm only going to read eight verses From Psalm 119, beginning at verse 25. The psalmist says, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Well, this section, eight verses uh, in the longest chapter in Scripture is about being resuscitated or revived from the Word of God. And I've been in a study on the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks, and in the midst of that study, I've wanted to drop this into our Bible study time because this is a passage and a sermon about how the Word of God is our lifeline. And it's what brings us back spiritually. You know, as I think about some of the things that I just mentioned in our announcement time, Alaska Bible College, or we could talk about Grace Christian School, the Word of God is held high in study around us, whether in Bible studies, in classes, whether Awana, or what have you, we're studying the Word of God a lot. But what I want to put before us this morning is the Word of God as not just what we study for our head knowledge, But the Word of God must go from our heads to our hearts to grow us spiritually. And so often, when life gets difficult and we find ourselves face down under the crush of life, we forget to reach for our Bibles. We forget to reach for the lifeline that God has thrown us in the Word of God, which 
revives our hearts. It does. And if you were to read through these 176 verses in Psalm 119, you would hear the theme over and over again of a man whose life's journey is going down in darkness and difficulty and being revived once again by the Word of God. That's what this chapter is all about in our Bibles. It's the longest chapter in the Bible about the Bible to invigorate us to reach for the Word of God, to be resuscitated. Thinking about resuscitation, artificial resuscitation and CPR, I looked online uh, about CPR. I used to kind of know CPR as a lifeguard and need to know that. It's a good thing to know. But I was reading about it and how there are a lot of myths and sort of um, how pop culture will promote CPR as something that's a a sure thing when you administer it. How in, you know, TV, CPR is often portrayed as what brings people back, you know, who are near death. And it cites a New England Journal of Medicine that showed that the CPR success rates in television shows are about 75%, but the real survival rate of an unwitnessed, out-of-hospital, sudden cardiac arrest is in the range of 6%. And with that sort of sobering statistic, it reminded me of how grateful I was to hear of a couple of children that were revived by CPR. One was a few years ago. When I was at a church in the lower 48, there was a child that was found face down in the water in the swimming hole. You know, the other kids that had been playing uh, all together forgot about this child, this little boy. And I think he was about five, actually three years old. and, And he was face down. And this neighbor who was a nurse saw him and pulled him to the side and revived him with CPR. And then there was another experience where it was a youth pastor friend of mine who was in a pool that was very crowded and he had all his kids around him, had several children. And one of his kids got out of his uh, vision, his line of sight and went down, got over his head and was down on the bottom of the pool. And a sibling found him and brought him back up and presented him to his dad blue and unconscious. And his father, knowing CPR, administered it and he was resuscitated to full normality and normalcy and health. Now, these are sort of dreaded scenarios that we hope we never find ourselves in, in a physical sense. But spiritually, don't we need to be resuscitated all the time? Haven't we found ourselves in the position of being like a lifeless, almost near-to-death corpse spiritually, where we need to be revived Or perhaps we know of other people who need to be resuscitated spiritually. And that's what brings me to this passage for this Sunday. I want to talk about being resuscitated by the Word of God. And this section is such a strong section that documents the journey of the Christian life. And for some reason, as I was thinking through this week and what I wanted to present to you, I was led to this text Because I'm sure that there are some of you who are out there this morning who need to be resuscitated. You're struggling. And you need to hear from the Word of God how the Word of God is that lifeline for you. Perhaps you've been neglecting the Word of God. You say, my soul is aching. I'm crushed in spirit. And I just 
I'm hesitating to reach for the Word of God or to listen to that sermon online or, or to meet in that Bible study. And I need it, but, but I just, my sin keeps me from going to what I need so much. And I want to just encourage you to reach out to the Word of God, that it is your sustenance. It is your way back. As I mentioned before, this is 176 verses long as a chapter. To study one of these sections, one of these paragraphs, though, is to really study the whole chapter because there's so much repeat cyclical material throughout. It's the fourth of 22 eight-verse sections that are really strophes, metrical strophes or stanzas in a song. That would have been sung by Hebrew children. The Hebrew alphabet um, sort of heads each one of these sections so that kids would have memorized it. It's about a man's testimony. It's much more than just studying the law. This is studying God and what he has for those who struggle. Eight different synonyms are used over and over again through Psalm 119. These synonyms all are words talking about the Word of God. And one, one Bible scholar put it this way. He said, each word about the Word of God is like eight bells ringing differently in 22 stanzas. The psalmist talks about the laws, the testimonies, the statutes, the precepts, the commandments, the rules, the Word, and the promises. And they all are different facets of the jewel that we have in the Word of God. We don't know who actually wrote this chapter. It could have been David. If it wasn't David, it was someone just like him, where he he has his heart on his sleeve. And perhaps it's better for us not to know who the author was because we can relate to this person even more, not really thinking exactly who that person was, but looking into the mirror and putting ourselves in this very situation. One thing we do know from reading Psalm 119 is that this man was going through very troubled times. Very turbulent times, very difficult times. It's a diary from a desperate man. That's what it was. He was in an alien world filled with religious skepticism, and he was the object of the skepticism. Verse 23 says, princes would sit and plot against him. Verse 69, the insolent smear me with lies. Verse 85, the insolent or the arrogant people have dug pitfalls for me. Sound familiar? Have you ever been there? It's difficult. Verse 87, they have almost made an end of me on earth. 109, I hold my life in my hand continually. 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Verse 126, it is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Now these attacks that came on him sound familiar when you think of the attacks that were leveled against the Lord Jesus Christ. This man is a believer, and Jesus was the ultimate object of being attacked, just like all believers will be at one point in their journey. Verse 61, he says, the cords of the wicked ensnare me. Verse 176, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. 71, I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. I think we can learn from this man as we relate to him, right? Let's learn from his survival story. And if you're taking notes, this is the way I would break down this small paragraph. This man survives adversity by assuming two spiritual postures. Two spiritual postures. 
That's what he takes. The first posture is him begging face down before the Lord. You ever been there? He's face down before the Lord. Look at verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. The dust here is like dry earth. Maybe you'd liken it to sawdust in a workshop where it's flying around and clinging to you like, you know, on your sweat. It's the idea that he's clinging to the dust and the dust is surrounding him and clinging back to him. It really is talking about his heart and how he feels. Each one of these verses, by the way, is where he starts with talking about how he feels or his experience, and then he turns to the need that he has and how God can meet it. Cycles of repetition that kind of bounce back and forth is what he does. And he's face down in his posture, begging for four things. And the first thing he begs for is for life. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust Give me life according to your word. Now, he's just stating the obvious here. He's laid low in the ground, the dry earth. It's adhering to him. It's where you feel so sick to death in life. It's like how you, you kind of feel when you have the flu. You ever have the flu and you, you get so sick and down that you don't even care when you answer the door whether, whether or not you've cleaned up. You just kind of answer the door and look at whoever's there. You're just out of it. That's where he is. But he's so out of it, he's on the brink of death here, spiritually speaking. Sunk down to the bottom of the earth. And we can relate. We can relate. Because life has its ups and downs. One thing about studying the Psalms, it doesn't take much to get it to your own life and your own heart. To enter into what's there. I think that's why it's written poetically. Because it's, it's like the Psalms sing our song and our experience. You know, this Psalm is actually giving you permission to struggle out loud. This is a man who's struggling by faith. He's not, he's not doubting God, but he's struggling out loud. And if, if you need permission to cry out to God in this way, here it is. You should do it. You should pray to God with an open heart and express your need to him. And if you've kind of been part of why you're in your difficult time, if you've been responsible for that, then just own that before the Lord. He starts with his experience and look at the second half of verse 25. He shows his need and how his need can be met. He says, give me life according to your word. He's asking for life. Life here is not eternal life. He's saved. He's a believer. That's why he's calling out to God. And it's not physical life. This is, in other words, life to go on in the Christian journey. That's what we should cry out for. God, give me life. I'm having a dark day or a dark season, and I need you to resuscitate me. Give me life on the journey. And he asks for life. Look at this. According to your word. So again, if you can relate to this man, then you need to understand where he sought his help. His help came from clinging to God's truth. He wanted God's word. Word here, Devar speaks of God, what God has spoken, his speech. 
the unchanging word that's given and documented in Scripture. He wanted the Word of God to reinform the way he thought so that his feelings would change. He wanted to breathe God's air once again. He wanted to be resuscitated. Needed life. That's what he's begging for. And he moves from begging for life to secondly begging for light. One builds on the other. Look at verse 26. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. And then verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Stop there. Now what this psalmist is doing is something that you should do when you're very discouraged. What he's doing in essence is he's counting his blessings or recounting the way the Lord has answered him in his time of need. The word ways here in verse 26 is repeated five different times throughout this section. You'll see it in verse 27, the way of your precepts. Verse 29, put away false ways for me. Verse 30, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. Verse 32, I will run the way of your commandments. He's talking about his life journey past, present, and future. But here in verse 26, he's saying, I have proclaimed my ways. I've talked about out loud how you've answered my prayers in the past. And by the way, aren't you so glad that God does answer prayer? The phrase, you answered me, is repeated some 70 times through the Psalms. 77 times to be exact. God answers prayers. And he's saying, look, every time I've been at this kind of nexus in my life, you've pulled me through. It's a great spiritual activity that I would recommend for you to do. Think back of all the times that you've been in deep, where you've been in over your head, and document those times out loud before the Lord, and remember the way the Lord answered your prayers. It's a way to buoy your spirit up and crawl out of depression spiritually. You answered me. It's what we do every month when we have the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. We do it in remembrance of him, what he did for us. Good thing to do as well is to remember the mountain peaks of your life. Really, when your life is flashing before your eyes, all you're really going to remember are those mountain peak moments. How the Lord saved you. How he maybe saved a family member of yours. How he gave you a husband or a wife or children or gave you this career or this opportunity or brought you to a church. Those are mountain peak moments in our lives. And as the psalmist is recounting those, he puts God at the center But then he says, teach me your statutes make me understand the way of your precepts. I think what he's doing there is he's calling out or begging for light. Lord, give me life. Get me, resuscitate me out of the, the ground here. And now buoy me up with the light of your word. And let me understand everything that you've done for me in light of scripture. God, you have transformed my life. Let me inform all of my past experiences in accordance with the promises that you've fulfilled. Show me this. Give me light. That's what he's saying. Energize the word of God in my heart now is what he's saying. You know, we can read and study the Bible for content's sake. But we dare not do that, especially just by doing that alone. There's such a danger in being in a 
a church that holds high the word of God when you're not warm-hearted. If you just learn the word of God for your, you know, for your skull or your cranium or your brain, you're missing the point. You'll harden your heart instead of softening it. And he's saying here, give me understanding. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Teach me your statutes. In other words, illumine the word of God with your Holy Spirit in my heart. Make the words of God pop off the pages at me is what he's saying. You know, I learned the gospel as a child, probably from age four on. I knew the basic principles of the gospel. But the gospel principles did not pop off the page at me. They did not become wonderful to me until I was transformed by the Holy Spirit. They just didn't. Uh, The good news really wasn't good until I was transformed by the Holy Spirit. And so, just as that's true at the point of conversion, that must be true throughout our journey spiritually because circumstances are going to push down on you and you're going to need the word of God to pop off the pages at you once again. That's what he's praying for. That's what he's praying for. Psalm 119, verse 18. You've heard this and probably know it well. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verses 129 and 130. These are a couple of my favorites here. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Now watch this one. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. That's the idea that the word of God is like, is like headlights on a path where, where you can see down the road better. As the word of God is, is giving you clear vision of what lies ahead. You ever ride down a road and you're kind of on the windy path and you can't really see the turns very well. You have your headlights on, but then you pop the, head, the high beams on and then you can see. And everybody that's coming in the opposite direction is kind of upset because they can't see, but you can see. But at least you can see, so you're not going off into the ditch. Well, that's kind of the idea here. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives greater illumination on where you are spiritually and where you need to go. That's what he's praying for. He's praying for understanding. The word understanding means to mark out or separate or clarify, to discern and give practical direction. So many people that just don't understand truth on a heart level. There's a lot of people that know a lot of things about the Word of God, but they don't know Jesus. And, and there's a lot of people who, who live as a Christian, but will not grab for the Bible regularly for this kind of resuscitation. And I'm not going to legislate or try to legislate how often you should be in the Word of God, but we need to eat of it and drink of it. Regularly, We need to cultivate the appetite because the more that you eat the word of God, the more you'll want to eat it, the more you'll need it. And the less, the more the appetite will wax and wane and kind of fall off and you'll just kind of grab at it every now and then. But it really isn't a mystery as to why we're either doing well or not. And it really has to do with whether or not we can take a posture with the word of God of humility where we want it and we want to eat it.
What's his response to being illumined? You know what he does? He meditates, verse 27. He says, I will meditate on your wondrous works. When things jumped out at him from the scripture, he begins to think about it. To meditate is to think, not talk. (laughs) It's like having a hot cup of water that's boiling that you want to make into tea. And you take the tea bag, which is representative of of the word of God, and you put it down in and let it permeate into the water. That's like meditation. It's where, it's where you, not just, you don't just read the word of God. You let it permeate your thinking and your life. Especially something that jumps out at you. You should read the word of God until something jumps out at you. Underline it and think about it. Or write about it. Or pray about it. Or tell someone else about it. That's a way to get it into your life. Meditation could be likened to a lion staring at his prey. It's fixed attention on something. Meditating. Very important. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, The light of the knowledge of the glory of God has shone in the face of Christ. In other words, when we have this illumined knowledge, when something is really grabbing us from the word of God, it's as if we're looking into the face of Jesus Christ himself. It's grace that this happens in our hearts. 2 Peter 1.19 says, The day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts when this happens. It's like there's a happens. It's like there's a dawning that's taking place in our hearts. I think of our, our Anchorage Grace Church logo that has the dawning sun. And when I think of that logo, I think of 2 Peter 1.19 about the the morning star rising in our hearts, how we're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as we meditate upon his truth. Well, he begs for life, he begs for light, and then he begs for God to lift him up. I like this section because this is where he's making a decision To stand up in the midst of sorrow. Verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. How bad was it for this man? Well, the idea of his soul melting is, uh, it's sort of a Hebrewism, Hebraism, where it's like an onomatopoeic drip drop sound with the word melting. In the Hebrew, it's this dripping and dropping that's taking place. Ecclesiastes 10.18 uses the same word for a house that's leaking. You ever been there? You ever have your soul cry where it's just dripping and dropping inside? Job used the same word. He says, my friends scorn me. My eye pours out tears to God. It's anguish of soul. And then in verse 28, he shows the, the need being met. He says, strengthen me according to... To your word. That word strengthen is a key word for this section. It's kind of the pivot point. He's down in the dust. He's saying, God, make the word of God pop off the pages at me again. Please, I'm recounting how you've always answered my prayers. Make it jump off the pages at me because I'm down in the dust and my soul is melting inside me. I need to be strengthened. And that word strengthen is the word kum, which is the same word for arise. Let me arise according to your word. That's what he's saying. Now, there are a lot of people who get so depressed that they do not want to what? Get out of bed. And I'm not here again to sort of give you specific counsel for how long you should go through stages of spiritual depression. 
That's not the point of this text nor this sermon. But there needs to be a turning point in your life if you're down, if you're depressed, where you stand up again. And the word kum here is sort of the same word family that Jesus used in the Aramaic when he looked at Jairus' 12-year-old girl who was laying lifeless in the house. And he said, little girl, arise. Talitha kum. Little girl, arise. It's what the psalmist is doing. He's standing up again. He's saying, I'm going to be resuscitated by your word. I'm going to sit back up. Lord, you are the lifter of my head. That's what the scripture says. He's begging for life. He's begging for light. He's begging for God to lift him up. And then in verse 29, he begs for leadership. It's not just standing up, but it's standing up and saying, Lord, now lead me and guide me. He recognizes in verse 29 that he's vulnerable. He's been through a lot. His heart's been melting. He's not been doing well. So he's vulnerable to following down the wrong path. And he says, put false ways far from me. Remember, he was recounting how God had answered his prayers and brought him through good ways in verse 26. Now in verse 29, he's saying, look, put false ways far far from me. Could be praying like we've been studying in Matthew 6. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Let me not follow a false path. I want to stand up now and follow the true path, which is the one that you've laid out for me from your word. Let me not be those who fall into the shipwreck of faith or follow the father of lies. I don't want to do that. I want to follow the truth. Doesn't trust in himself. Well, he's been in a face-down posture begging. And now in verse 30, 31, and 32, his posture changes to running. I pick that up from verse 32, where he says, I will run in the way of your commandments. He's going to run. It's always great in the spiritual life, in the spiritual journey, when we can fly for the Lord. It's not always what our journey's like. It's not always what our year's going to be. But there needs to be times in our lives when we are running after the truth. We should expect to get there. Didn't happen overnight for this psalmist. It wasn't just, okay, I'm begging and now I'm choosing to run. It's not just something where he's snapping his fingers. He's documenting how he's crawled out of this hole and now he's ready to run. In these last three verses, he makes three commitments, beginning with the word I. Nothing wrong with making a commitment to the Lord when you have this kind of foundation that you're standing on. He's standing now on the truth, so he's ready to make commitments. Verse 31, he says, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Notice that word cling. It's the same word that he used in verse 25. He was clinging to the dust He was clinging to the dry earth. The dry earth was clinging to him. He was suffocating. He was lifeless spiritually. And now in verse 31, he's clinging by contrast to God's word. That's what he's doing. This is a commitment to integrity. He's clinging to God's testimonies. Verse 30. 
I'm sorry, march back up to verse 30. <laughs> this is the first commitment. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. This is his first commitment. It's the commitment to integrity, to being faithful. I got ahead of myself and wanted to make that, that cling connection with verse 31 and 25. We'll get back to it, though. But verse 30, he begins by saying, I've chosen the way of your faithfulness. I set your rules before me. And what I want to say here is simply this. When you're standing on God's word and you're buoyed up, you're going to put God's objective truth above everything else. There's a lot of things that you can be taught through bad teachings, bad ideologies, maybe college courses that are not biblical or or things that you would see from the media, or temptations to to sort of put a relationship with someone ahead of the truth. There's so many temptations to fall prey to, but he's saying, look, no matter what, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I'm going to follow you no matter what. And then that brings us down to verse 31. I cling to your testimonies. Again, he was clinging to the dirt. Now he's clinging to to the truth. And he says, let me not be put to shame. Again, this is a man who has taken heed. You know, the passage in 1 Corinthians 10, take heed lest you fall, lest you think you stand, and you'll fall if, if you're proud or your pride is puffing you up. Pride comes before the fall. Well, he says, look, let me not be put to shame. He's saying, I don't want to fall down. I want to cling to your truth. Clinging here just simply means obedience, following God's word. And he follows it with, look at verse 32, with a commitment to follow God with affection. If you don't have affection with your obedience, you don't have spiritual life. Again, to my point in the beginning, we don't go to the Word of God just for head knowledge. We go to the Word of God so our hearts will melt before Him. You know, clinging to God's testimonies, back to verse 31, is the same word that Moses used in Genesis 2.24, where he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cling or hold fast to his wife. And this man is now clinging to God's word, and he's clinging in a way that is bursting forth affection, just like you have with your spouse. You know, if I were to go up uh, one day and I wanted to sort of win my wife's heart, I, I could just sort of present her flowers in this way. I could say, you know, honey, I, I read in a book that I was supposed to present you flowers, and so here are your 12 dozen roses, and I want you to now cut the stems and put them in the vase, and I have, you know, fulfilled my duty for you. I mean, that's, I mean, Judy's going to go, thanks, dude, you know, I appreciate it, all right, whatever. But if instead I pick out a particular bouquet of flowers that she really likes. And she likes kind of wild flowers. And so you, you bring those specific things that she knows that I now know she likes. And I give them to her and present those to her in a way where I'm saying, Honey, I love you and I want you to have these. And I did this for you because I was thinking about you all day. I mean, that, you're going to get, you know, a good response from that, right? That's a far better way to go about it. 
And that's what he's talking about here. It's obedience where you're running after God's commandments with affection. He says, when you, un- when you enlarge my heart, it's a commitment to affection. You have a commitment to integrity. You're going to be faithful. You're committed to obey God's word. And then you're committed to do it out of a heart of affection for him. It's important. This is coming back. Coming back to God. It's running. It's running. Charles Spurgeon, talking about this passage, put it this way. He said, Our running is the spontaneous leaping forward of a mind which has been set free by the hand of God and delights to show its freedom by its bounding speed. You know what's happening? It's where you see the word of God and it's beautiful to you because you're looking into the face and majesty of God because he's beautiful to you. That's what needs to happen in the heart when we're seeking him. And I know that we see so many beautiful things in Alaska that just take our breath away. And every time our breath is taken away, that should be a reminder, a prompt for how the word of God needs to be dazzling our minds when we go to it. Don't just read it to do it. Read it to meditate. To let the word of God marinate over your mind is the point. David talked about Use the same phrase that's found in verse 32, enlarging. The idea of enlarging my heart here in verse 32. It's the idea of going into a broad place. Psalm 18 verse 19 is where David was being rescued and he was delivered from his enemies out into a broad place of rescue. We want our hearts to widen. Just like seeing something beautiful, how our hearts filled with stabs of joy. You ever have that experience? You're just freed up. That's what we want to have happen in our lives with the word. You know, this is kind of like an inspiration story, isn't it? And I like inspiration stories. I like like comeback stories. And specifically, I like sports stories where someone comes back. You know, the underdog wins the game in the end. I love those stories. I, I like to watch those as TV shows or movies or read about those things. And I looked one up. I was thinking of, of kind of this theme, and I looked up uh, one of my favorite um, sort of events, sporting events that happened in 1992. It was a playoff game between the Buffalo Bills and the Houston Oilers. Now, the Houston Oilers, you know, they, their franchise is different now. I don't know if they're the Texans now or, or if they're still the Tennessee Titans, but there's no more the Oilers in the NFL, as you know. But way back when, when Warren Moon was the quarterback for the Oilers and Jim Kelly was the starting quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, they were competing in a playoff game and I was watching it. And the Bills were just getting, you know, slammed. They weren't going to win. They were, they were dying and they, they were down 32 points. And Frank Wright, the backup quarterback, was in, specifically in that third quarter because Jim Kelly was hurt. And the Bills were trailing 35-3, to but Frank Wright somehow, you know, got in the zone. And every pass that he was making was a touchdown pass. I don't know if you saw that game. But they came back, and they made up the greatest deficit in NFL history to beat the Houston Oilers 38-35 to after overtime. I remember watching this game, but, and I was inspired by the comeback. But what struck me more was the post-game interview with Frank Wright. 
you know, all the cameras were on him, and they wanted to know, how did you make this comeback? How did you engineer this, all these touchdowns? How did you pull it off? And what was happening in Frank Wright's heart overwhelmed him in that moment, and he began to cry, and he pulled out lyrics from the song, In Christ Alone. And he said that that was what was going on in my mind during that whole third and fourth quarter. He says, as I stood behind the podium, typically they just start firing questions at you. And, and I said, before you ask me any questions, I want to share the lyrics to a song that, have inspired, that has inspired me this week. Then I read the lyrics to In Christ Alone. It says, In Christ alone I will glory, though I could pride myself in battles won. For I've been blessed beyond measure, and by his strength alone I overcome. I thought that was powerful. It, it struck my heart to watch this athlete weep and say those words. His sister had given him that song earlier in the week, had, had told him to listen to it, and he listened to it all through the week, and it was just in his head as he was meditating and playing at the same time. But this is what really struck me about his whole recounting of that experience. He said, after the whole game was over, the lyrics were read, it seemed as if the song was written for that one game in time. But Reich, Frank Wright continues, and he says, what I have since, since realized is that the song and the lyrics are really about everyday Christian living. And then he says, In every victory, let it be said of me that my source of strength and my source of hope is in Christ alone. You know, this testimony from Psalm 119 is everyday living. Being down on your face is part of our everyday experience at one level or another. And at one level or another, we have to crawl out by clinging not to the dust, but to the testimonies, to the truth, and coming to a place where we stand up and our hearts are enlarged. You know, there's one reason why I know that you can do this, and that is because you have a sympathetic shepherd who clung to the dust of the earth and stood up and rose on your behalf and on mine. Uh, as we kind of shift gears to our take-home points, I want to show you how the psalmist is really a foreshadowing of what Christ did for you. First of all, Jesus, he assumed what? Two postures. He did. Like the psalmist, Jesus was attacked. He was smeared with lies by insolent men like the Pharisees, like his family at certain points, Judas Iscariot, He's been mocked. Jesus, at the end of his ministry, was grieved in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Matthew 26, 37 through 39. He says, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. The drip drop effect was going on in his heart, and he fell on his face. Under the crushing burden of the sins that we have committed, that were going to be laid on him. Jesus clung to his father's will, though, which his father's will represents the truth for us. Matthew 26, 39, he fell on his face and prayed, Father, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He clung to God's will to get him through. He was face down, but did he stay down? 
No, he got up. He got up. And he got up and he went all the way on the path to Golgotha for you and for me. That's what he did. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Are you weary this morning? Do you need to be resuscitated? Go to God's word. Don't forget God's word. Don't do it. Cling to a promise like this. I read it at the beginning of the hour. Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. Here's verse 31 again. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's bow for prayer. Father God, I thank you for this room that's filled with your people. I thank you, God, that you have given us um, poetry like this, like Psalm 119. It gives us the truth and it gives us a testimony, a diary of a desperate man that we can resonate with. Lord, for any who are here who are experiencing spiritual darkness, I pray that, God, you would give them hope this morning that they can crawl out of it by recounting um, how you've always answered and how you've given them truth to cling to. Provide promises for each one of us to remember and live on and be sustained by. Let us drink deeply of the well of the word of God so that we will be buoyed up. And God, I thank you for any who are here who might still need to know you for the first time. I pray that you would open their eyes with the truth and set them free. Let them know you as Savior and as Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.